Blog Talk Radio. Contra Radio Network presents Ladies of the Watch. Welcome to Ladies of the Watch at the 3 o'clock time today. Um, I'm here with Mike Ronan from Survival Wolves, who has been a big help in keeping me from going stir-crazy and talking to myself on the air. Um, I don't expect many other call-ins because we've been off for two weeks while we've dealt with the Harvey issue and a bunch of other things. Um and now here in Florida, we're preparing for Irma, which I'm not sure if it's going to land here in Florida or upstate by New York and South Carolina or upcountry. So we're kind of uh, battening down the hatches in preparations for that. Um, our yeah, first looks like Irma out- is going gonna, is gonna to hit the uh, east coast of Florida and might slide up into uh Southern Georgia and South Carolina, which if it does... And that's what we're worried about. They say it's going to be Category 5 by uh by Monday. Um, They had knocked it down to a 2 and then beefed it up to a 3 again, so... When Hugo hit Charleston in 88, that was a Category 4, and when it hit where I was, upstate South Carolina, it was a Category 3. And, of course, it lost steam. (laughs) Right. And we're not directly on the coast, so we'll get some buffering as it moves inland, but it's still going to be an issue if it hits. Um, And my worries were that, you know, we have Harvey going on right now, and you have Red Cross over there. You have all the government focus over there. You've got people driving over there to help with their boats and things. And then Irma hits, and now you got two disasters at the same time. So I'm back over here preparing to help on this side of the coast. And if anybody out there is listening and you can help or start thinking about that before it hits, that might be something that we could do as preppers is realize that it's going to be a big old cluster F if it hits over here while they're still working with Harvey. And the people over here are going to have basically no help at all for a long time. Um, so when the flood hit two years ago, it was 72 hours before Red Cross even got to us. Yeah, and it will be longer than that because they can't deploy those multiple groups in different areas as easily, I think. But that's why today we're going to talk about prepping again. And hey, I'm going to mute so you won't get any background noise. All right. Okay. Thank you. And as preppers, we need to focus on what types of issues would be ours. When I was home, I had earthquake. I had some flood, but not like down here. And I had uh, volcanic. We had landslides, things like that. Well, down here, I moved to Florida. 
uh, we've got hurricanes. So my prepping is different. And as you guys know, I lost most everything up home and we're starting over again from scratch. And we have raw land that we're trying to figure out what to do with it. And so that gives me a whole brand new palette to start with. And so this week I started thinking about plants and food sources and things that we could grow here um, to be totally self-sustainable. Uh, because as preppers, you know, we know we're eventually we'll run out of flour, we'll run out of sugar, we'll run out of salt, we'll run out of things that we have put away, I mean, it's just inevitable unless you have a government bunker where you can prepare for 30 years. Um, and I started looking at backyard plants um, to combat some of that. Um, so that's what we're gonna talk about today. And I thought I would start with Moringa. Um, I grow Moringa. Um, I make medic medicine out of Moringa. Um, it's a tree, it's a leaf, and it's fairly new in the community, but it's getting really hugely popular. Um, I've seen online preppers starting to talk about the Moringa tree, but they are gouging people. So I'm going to tell you about it, and you can make a determination whether it's for you or not. Now, it's a tree. It grows really well. You can rip branch off, stick it in the ground, and you'll have a tree. It has seeds. You can eat the seeds. You can eat the leaves. You can eat the powder. Um, there's so many benefits to it. It's become like this miracle drug, literally, and... I know people who are on it for arthritis that it works miracles, um, health benefits, everything. Um, Moringa is being touted as miracle food for the preppers. And they say because as a prepper, it's so complete that you can live off a tablespoon of, I think he said a tablespoon of moringa a day and survive moringa and water and they're and they put it in packs and they said 30 day supply is 190 dollars i'm telling you right now that's hogwash you may be able to survive strictly on moringa leaves and moringa and the seeds that's not hogwash that's true but you can get it for much more reasonable pricing on ebay on amazon you hit me up and i'll send you a start um or less than 20 bucks. So don't go buy into the hype with all that other stuff. Um, the Moringa for health um, includes relief from stomach disorders, allergies, swelling, edema, um, and it's an antioxidant. It aids in liver protection, diabetes. It helps control diabetes, eye protection, cardiovascular health, Bone health, wound healing, skin health. It's an antibacterial, antifungal, and helps fight against infections. It's uh, also effective for preventing various medical conditions of cancer, neurodegenerative diseases, bronchial asthma, sickle cell disease, nephrotoxicity, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, anemia, obesity, and it builds a strong immune system. 
So this is one I would definitely recommend to plant in your backyard. You can pick up a small tree for five bucks. And uh, it, it comes from um, India, basically, but it was tropical and subtropical from Asia, Africa, and South America. Um, it's been used since ancient times. Romans, Egyptians, and Greeks used it. Um, and it's being planted in various areas where there's starvation because um, it's so valuable as a food source. Um, they have essential proteins, vitamins and minerals, and amino acids, vitamins A, B1, B2, B3, B6, folate, and ascorbic acid. Uh, it's got calcium, potassium, iron, magnesium, phosphorus, and zinc. It has low fat and no cholesterol. So these are, this is a plant that I've been getting into, and I actually have about 50 planted right now. My husband wants to do, oh, by the way, I got married, so thank you. Uh, my husband wants to plant 400 trees, and I said, well, before we plant 400 trees, let's figure out what we're going to do with them. Um, but there, you can make it into a powder and stick it in a smoothie. You can drink it in a tea. You can eat the leaves fresh right off the tree. Uh, they have seed pods. You can eat the seeds. It's, but the sky's the limit on it. Um, and there's been a, actually a lot of research done on it. Um, with the extract that you can make yourself, it's been significantly effective, effective in inhibiting swelling, um, anti-inflammatory medicine, uh, it beats anti-inflammatory medications. It protects your liver. Um, and this has been studied fairly, um, objectively and fairly often. They, they've shown that treatments reduce ulceration in curing ulcerative colitis. Um, it's actually, it's comparable to prednis, prednisolone, um, which is a prevalent drug. It contains antibiotics. Um, it inhibits effects of growth on pathogens. Um, it prevents diarrhea. If you're in a crappy area where you might have not boiled your water too well, there's so much that you can do with it. And it's an anti-cancer agent. Now, in, in prepping, we're always looking for things because cancer is going to be an issue. Diabetes is going to be an issue. Um, pain is going to be an issue. Rheumatoid arthritis. Um, all these things are an issue. And this is one that... Um, is a good all-around help to it. It doesn't taste bad. It tastes green. Um, we stick it in smoothies, and you can stick it. My mother-in-law puts it in peanut butter and spreads it on toast. Now, that to me, I have not tried it because it sounds nasty and the peanut butter turns green. But they say it's really good for you. And she has... Uh, rheumatoid arthritis in her hands and she states that when she takes it 
She has very, very, very little pain in her hands and her back and her hips. If she does not take it, if she misses it for a couple days, then she um, does notice it and it and it does make a big difference to her. So that is uh, an extremely important um, food source. If it floods, unless if they're established trees, they're gonna they're going to um, stand up like any other tree. It's it's a it's a long term thing. You can plant it in if you have a wild garden. You can plant it in your wild garden, and chances are people won't know what it is. Um, you'll always be able to come back to it for a food source. Um, I would say this is probably the number one um, plant that I would have as an alternative food source, alternative plant for my food and medicinal. The second one that I would do covers sugar. And uh, it's a perennial, and it's called an Aztec sweet herb. And I was going to look it up on the Internet to see, to talk about it more than what I know, but um, I, I didn't. So I don't have a whole lot to say about it, except um, the leaves taste like candy. They are that sweet. Um, it's like a stevia substitute, but it doesn't have that weird stevia aftertaste. Um, with stevia, I'll take um, vodka and I'll soak the leaves in it and cook them really, really, really low. Or uh, I can cook it in water really, really low and make it into a syrup and then add it to vodka. And then that makes it a tincture. And then you can just squeeze one or two drops in your drinks, like iced tea or whatever you're drinking, and it sweetens it very well. But it, it kind of has this little aftertaste to it that I just kind of laugh. Um, but I'll drink it because I don't want the sugar. Well, the Aztec sweet herb does not have that. And it's, it's a perennial. It propagates easily from cuttings. Um, so if you have one plant and you just keep cutting pieces off, you can grow more and more and more, and it's going to just keep coming back every year. So it's a no-maintenance plant, which for preppers, let's face it, we got so much to do, that's a good thing. And it's sweeter than stevia, so you can use it for baking, you can use it for cooking, you can use it for your drinks. You treat it just like you would a stevia. I did not check to see if it did not trigger diabetes like stevia. Um, and that one, you'll have to do your research on that one because I did not look. Um, but medically, Aztec sweet herb has been used for respiratory issues like bronchitis, um, colds, asthma, coughs, and colic in babies. Um, so this is one that I would also stick in um, my herb garden or my medical prep garden or my prep garden as an alternative that we don't think about with um, 
alternate food sources. A lot of people talk about beets, a lot of sugar beets. A lot of people talk about planting sugar cane. Um, those take up so much areas. And if you get a stevia or a sweet herb plant, you can plant so much more in a small area that will keep going. You don't have to replant it every year. So this one, I, I like the idea of this. Um, the next one I want to talk about is one that actually got me started thinking on this. Um, it's called amaranth. It's a flower, so it's beautiful, and it's also a bush. And it runs, I'm going to talk about amaranth and quinoa in the same uh, topic because they're very, very similar. So quinoa, sorry, I call it quinoa. Quinoa, um, they're in the same family. Amaranth was cultivated by the Aztecs over 8,000 years ago, and it was a key part of the diet of the Aztec people. It wasn't used just for food, but as part of their religious uh, ceremonies and things like that. Um when the Cortez and the Spanish conquistadors arrived in the 16th century, amaranth crops were burned and its use was forbidden. But fortunately, it was never quite eradicated. Um, it's really high in lysine, and it's almost 50%, I believe, what I remember, in protein. Um, like quinoa, it's not a grain technically, but it's a seed of the plant. And one plant can produce up to 60,000, um, and it contains all the amino acids that we need. It contains a really high balance in the protein. Um, it, it, it has a really high amount of antioxidants. Um, you can boil it. You can toast it. You can bake it. You can make it into oatmeal. But the biggest thing, well, like an oatmeal, like a grain, a uh, cooked grain. But the biggest thing for me that I'm doing research on, I'm planting it this year, is you can grind it and use it like flour. So thinking of 60,000 seeds and grinding it up into flour, that's quite a bit. Um, and there are recipes online that you can see. Uh, that shows bread made by amaranth flour. Um, and it looks phenomenal. Doesn't look any different than regular bread. They say you can mix it with other uh, flours if you want to change the taste. Um, but that's one that I'm, I'm actually ordering and I'm gonna put in this year. It's gluten-free. So if, you, if people in your party have celiac or gluten intolerance, um, it's an excellent way to boost the nutritional power of gluten-free recipes. It contains lysine, like I mentioned. Um, most grains like wheat are short on lysine, which is an amino acid. Um, but it makes amaranth a complete protein because it contains all the essential amino acids. Um, it's 26 grams of protein per cup, which is much higher than most other grains. Um, to compare, a couple of long grain white rice has 13 grams of protein. 
It's uh, pretty hardy. It prefers a high elevation, but can grow at any elevation in temperate climates. If it has moist, loose soil, um, and it can also survive in low water conditions once the plants have been established. Um, other parts of the amaranth that are used, the seeds are the best known, but the leaves are edible. Um, and they, and Asian people, Caribbean cuisines, they try them stir-fried or chopped up and added to soup. Um, it contains calcium, magnesium, potassium, phosphorus, and iron. One cup of uncooked amaranth has 31% of the RDA for calcium, 14% for vitamin C, and 82% for iron. So this will be a big deal if shit hits the fan and food is hard to come by. Um, it was first domesticated 6,000 to 8,000 years ago, um, and you can pop it like popcorn. It looks like tiny popcorn kernels and has a nutty taste. Um, it grows everywhere. It's good for your heart. Several studies show that amaranth can have cholesterol-lowering potential. Uh, in 1996, American study found that the oil in amaranth can lower total and LDL cholesterol. Um, it has phytosterols, which have cholesterol-cutting properties. Um, and it can help keep you regular, which if you're eating a lot of crap during shit hits a fan, it's going to be a good one. Um, so, and quinoa is the same thing. Um, these are plants that we don't look at sticking in our prepper garden, but this would be another wild option. Um, another one that people won't look at, they'll look at it as... Um, ornamental so if if you had people coming in and stealing from your garden they probably wouldn't touch this one and this would be a big primary one to replace flower um that to me was extremely important and that's what got me started on this idea um soybeans would be another one uh they grow like beans um but you can eat them green or you can dry them uh, they're high in, high in protein, and they do um, really well as animal feed, as does quinoa and amaranth. You can feed them to chickens, uh, soybeans. You can feed them to your uh, animals, too, but you have to roast it first because it interferes with digestion and protein absorption in animals. And all of these make good mulches. If you break down the a green mulch, they make break down into a green mulch so you can use them to put nutrients back into your gardens. Um, and that's an important thing because you're not going to be able to go out and buy fertilizer and things like that. Now we all say, well, we'll put animal products back in and things like that. But there's things in plant breakdown and plant mulch that our gardens need besides just the animal um, waste. So soybeans, amaranth, moringa, all of this makes good animal fodder as well, which is a big, big deal if you're planning on having animals in your, um, in your, um, 
Sorry, I had a brain fart. If you're going to be a prep and you're going to have chickens and rabbits and goats and cows and stuff, all of this works together. There's more than one deal. Um, there's one that I found today. My mother-in-law told me about it and said she wants to go get one. We can order them. Um, in fact, I use a book, and this is not, I wasn't paid for this. This is my big thing on my own. It's called Rare Seeds. It's a Baker Creek heirloom seed catalog, and they only sell rare seeds from all over the world, and they sell, um, it's all heirloom. So no GMO. You can harvest whatever off of the plant. And uh, it will pro proliferate. Um, I love this book. And I've been looking at a lot of this stuff. Um, this They have a lot of good ideas. Okay, so anyway, there was my plug. Uh, Katuk is the next one. K-A-T-U-K. Um, it's a shrub, and you've probably never heard of it, um, unless you're in Southeast Asia, which it seems to be a very big staple over there. Um, but it's also cultivated in Cambodia, Indonesia, Laos, Malaysia, and the Philippines, Thailand, Vietnam, and India. It thrives in tropical climates. Use lips, sorry. It thrives in tropical climates and lowland rainforests where it grows between four and six feet tall. Now, we can grow it down here in Florida. Um, you could probably grow it in the south. Um, it's an upright bush with multiple stems, dark green oval shaped leaves. Uh, in the southern climates, it stays green year round, but in cooler climates, it loses the leaves in the winter and regrows in the spring. Blooms in the summer with fall, small, flat, round, yellow to red flowers, followed by a purple, purple fruit, fruit, purple fruit with tiny black seeds. It takes two bushes to pollinate and to produce fruit. So you need to have two of them so they can do that. Um, there's a premium market for the shoots, even the flowers, small fruits and seeds of the katuk. The flavors said to be like that of a pea with a bit of a nutty flavor. It's eaten in Asia, both raw and cooked. It's cultivated in shaded areas, irrigated frequently and fertilized to produce tips that are similar to asparagus. Half of its nutrition is protein. It also has medicinal properties, which is one of which is to stimulate milk production in nursing mothers. Um, but with this one, there is a word of warning, uh, as excessive consumption uh, has led to chronic lung problems, but it takes quite a lot of raw, any problem, and millions of people eat it every day with no effects. So that is raw consumption, so cook it. Um, once again, this is a bush, so it should... Um, provide 
lots and constant food source. Growing a shrub is relatively easy provided you live in an area of moist, hot conditions or you can mimic such conditions such as a greenhouse. It does best in a shaded area, uh, but it will also do well in full sun provided you keep the soil damp. It's also propagated via cuttings set in water or put directly into the soil. It can grow up to a foot a week in ideal conditions, although it has a tendency to flop over when it gets too tall. So most of the Asian people prune it regularly, and uh, it will do really well for you. All right, Mike, I'm taking a breath for a minute because my lips are goofing up. Do you have any questions about any of this or any comments? He's probably falling asleep. Oh, okay. So the next one I do have on hand. I do not have a shrub, but I do have this put away in my preps as in tea form, and it's dried. You can go online and get it, um, and I'm going to start looking for plants because it's called a yacon, Y-A-C-O-N, and it, it is an an extremely important plant diabetics. Um, it's delicious and it's a relative of a dahlia and a Jerusalem artichoke. Um, they can reach four to five heat, feet in height and bloom bearing small yellow daisies, but they're um, produced. Uh, they're a tuber. So you have two types, propagation tubers at the center of the root mass, which can be divided and replanted, and the edible, which one, edible ones, which grow outside of the central ones. Uh, the roots contain insulin, which is useful for diabetics and possess antioxidant and probiotic qualities. Um, so if you have somebody in your group that is insulin dependent, this might be something to think about. Um, I know that it's going to be an issue. You know, once you can't find insulin, it's a hard thing to store. Insulin also does have an expiration date. So anything that we can find, I know okra has helpful properties for diabetics, and now you have Yacon. Um, like I said, I have it stored as a tea because when I was in Washington, I had a couple of members in our group that were diabetic, and I was trying to research things that I could have as the group medic um, that would help them if we could not get insulin. Um, the last Thing I'm going to talk about, apparently I've talked really, really fast, <laughs> is sorghum. There's about 10, uh, 13 different varieties of sorghum, and it's one of Africa's greatest contributions to the world's agricultural diversity. Um, it's adaptable and drought tolerant. It the varieties exist that provide grain, syrup, animal fodder, and sometimes more than one crop from a single planting. 
Um, the main requirement for sorghum is heat. And uh, seeds are ripe at the same time as the sugar stock reaches the maximum. So by the time it's ready to harvest, it's going to have the highest sugar content in it that it, it can have. Now, this is another idea for sugar substitutes or syrups, um, because those are gonna be a high demand item if we ever get into a situation where we can't go to the grocery store and just buy stuff anymore. Um, so these, these plants are ones that I've been researching to put into my garden. And I'm planting most of them this year and I'm going to be harvesting them um, the growing season here is weird, so I have to think about it, and I'm thinking I'm going to be harvesting in March, which to me is backwards because that's when we, that's almost when we start planting back home. But I'm going to do some research on this, and I'm going to try each, each thing, and see, we're going to make syrup. I might do videos, I'm not sure yet. I'm not, I'm, I'm not only kind of an odd speaker, but I'm shy. I don't like the camera. And, uh, but I've had some requests for making candles and uh, doing cheese online and making syrup and some medicine. So I may do some videos and post them on the Ladies of the Watch page. We'll see. Um, John and Terry are talking about, uh, they talked about the other night, Harvey, Terry's down there. Um, and we mentioned this before, they need a lot of help down there and it's going to take years to recover most likely, but you need to keep an eye on Irma as well. I'm, I'm a member of three disaster recovery teams and I was called out to go to Harvey to help through the Red Cross and the CAC and a couple others. But I chose to stay here because I believe that we're going to be um, divided. I, I believe that Irma's going to hit the coast. So you guys who are on the coast, you need to be preparing and putting away your water and putting away your food and making sure that it's waterproof. If your house floods, are you going to be able to recover anything? Put it in five-gallon buckets. Seal it up in a seal mill, put it in a five-gallon bucket. Put your water in, can your water in jars, buy your water in bottles, and make sure that they're going to be recovered, even if it floods and you can't get to it right away, that you'll be able to use it eventually. Um, these are things that we don't think about as preppers sometimes. I think most of us get complacent, oh, I put up food, I've done this, I've done that, and then you lose your stores, then what do you do? Um, most of us can't afford to stick things in caches or have two or three different areas to store. So, but it's up to us to take care of ourselves. Uh, like Mike, or Mike said, it was 72 hours for the Red Cross to come and help them when he lost everything in his flood. And he's trying to recover. Um, 
I lost every, almost everything, and what I didn't lose, I had to give away to move down here because I couldn't haul it all down here, start all over again. So this time I'm doing it uh, a little bit differently, and I'm being very picky about what I'm prepping. Um, so it's important. If they tell you to evacuate, evacuate. Don't stay and become a victim. Try try to help your neighbors. There's things out there that uh, Texas is talking about. You know, I'm going to read a little blurb here from somebody down there. And he says, if you saw my place, you would have to agree if we're supposed to rely on our elected officials. What happened? No plans, no effort, no leadership. Okay, Terry's down in Texas, and his big thing is he's been 40 hours without being able to do anything. It's all, nobody has any contact with anybody else. Nobody knows what the other person is doing, and there's it, they're spinning their wheels. This gentleman said, I can bill it and feed 100 people if necessary. I have power, solar. Your leaders want you to desert your homes and have strangers providing for you. I know that they did not cause the rain. This is not our first rain. Won't be our last. We need to learn by our mistakes. For your information, one of those people with trash in their yard borrowed a pickup from a friend and spent three days and nights rescuing people. Does not want to be reimbursed. Does not want you to know who he is. He's got a lot of people to safety, and now he sets in the dark waiting for the water that the bureaucrat failed to control to flood his house again. He has no insurance, just integrity. Okay. It's not the government's job. The only thing I have a problem with this is it's not the government's job to keep the water and to control the water out of our areas. If you live in an area that has hurricanes, you're going to get flooded. I lived in an area that had earthquakes, and we knew that there was going to be earthquakes. We knew that there could be flooding, and we took precautions for it. We knew that there were issues. So if you choose to live in an area that has hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, etc., then take precautions. Help your neighbor. Um, do be an American. There is a picture going around, and I'm on my high horse. I'm sorry, but. There's a picture going around of a white man carrying two black children through the water. And right underneath it is a picture of a black man carrying two white children through the water. And the caption says, do you see the difference here? And then underneath it says, no, me neither. Okay? It's time for us to pull together, screw the Antifa, screw the, the BLM, screw all the people that are making lives difficult and work together, help your neighbor, do the best you can. 
I'm off my high horse. I'm also done early today. I have to go to work at five. Um, this is Julie, been Ladies of the Watch. Um, I appreciate you listening and sticking with me through all of this stuff. Um, be safe out there no matter where you are. It's going to get uglier before it gets better. So be proactive with your prepping. Thank you and have a good night.